Danny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. And we are back. So how are you all doing? Have you had a good week? I've had a very good week over here. I've been prioritising a lot of self-care, as you've probably seen on the Instagram page. Um, I'm in the process of building a website at the moment for the Grown Up Hustle. um, And there's lots of exciting things in store coming for that. So keep your eyes peeled. But obviously, with a lot of screen time comes a lot of stress. So I have had to do lots of self-care, lots of meditating, lots of reading, lots of getting outdoors. But luckily, the sun is shining again. So that helps. And I'm in a brilliant mood. So anyway, on this week's show, I've got the author, Natasha Sattler, who wrote the book Shit Adults Never Taught Us, chatting to us about all of the shit that she was never taught by adults. We had such a great laugh recording this because we both just realised that we're like not very adulty adults and I'm coming up 37 in a few months And I still don't really feel like an adult. And I don't know if anyone else feels like this or not. But sometimes you just feel like you're playing at being an adult, but you're not actually an adult. So you're going about doing things in life like an adult, but it doesn't really feel like your life. If anyone else doesn't feel like this, you're all going to think I'm absolutely bonkers now. But this is kind of how I feel. And not even in like an imposter syndrome kind of way, just genuinely, I don't believe that I'm a fully fledged adult even though my birth certificate says otherwise. So anyway, I hope you have a really good time listening to the show today. Um, Definitely check out Natasha's book. It's launching on April the 16th. It is a brilliant, brilliant read. I was lucky enough to get a sneak preview. Um, So definitely check that out. And on that note, let's get Natasha onto the show today. Hey, Natasha. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be here. So shit adults never taught us. Just absolutely brilliant. It's the kind of book that gets you you laughing. uh, But the whole time you're reading it, you're just screaming fuck yes at the book. That's how I felt. (laughs) So one of the few perks of being in podcasting is getting to hit up authors for some sneak previews of their books. And this one did not disappoint for me. It's kind of the life book that everyone needs to read. And for the listeners, to give you a heads up, it really does summarize every little life hurdle that you are going to cross at some stage, but you've kind of usually got absolutely no clue how to attack this hurdle. So that's where Natasha's book comes in. So do you want to give us a bit of a background about the book, where the idea came from, and kind of at what stage did you put the ideas to fruition? Sure. So this book, I was never intending to be an author. This was never um, a plan, (laughs) but quarantine happened. What is your background? My background is, well, okay, let's go all the way back. So (laughs) I was born outside of Washington, DC in Maryland. And I grew up being a very creative kid. I did lots of plays and music and singing and dancing. And I did all of these creative things, but I loved writing on my own. I never took like writing classes. I never did a bunch of like writing workshops, but I liked writing in general. Then when I I graduated high school, I was 17 years old. I went to film school for college and I was like, I'm going to go make movies. I'm going to go be a big movie director, producer, screenwriter, perhaps. And I went to college. I have never been somebody who likes class. I absolutely hate going to school. I am the kid that's so fidgety and like can't sit and concentrate that despite the fact that it was a topic I love, I still hated school. So a college, you know, normally about four years, I graduated in three because I was like, I just want to get out of here. I just want to go start my life. So I packed up and I, after 10 days after graduation, I packed up and I moved across the country to Los Angeles. And I set out to start acting. And at the same time, I was doing visual effects work. And at the same time, I was helping 
do stand-in work. And I just was trying to figure out my place in the world. And my place in the world ended up being in production. So I produce, currently I produce broadcast commercials, which in the U.S. are very different than your broadcast commercials. Your commercials are funny. Your commercials are like really great, tiny short films. And our commercials are like, buy this soap, buy this drug, buy this. <laughs> I'm going to say that. <laughs> like when I get to work on like a really funny campaign, I'm like, oh yes, this is awesome. But I used to work for a company that had uh, two offices in LA and New York and then one office in London. And I was the person who took in all of the campaigns across all three offices Every time I got a British campaign, I was like, oh my God, this is so great. This is so much better. Like, I wish I could work on all of those. I, I was ready to pack up and move. And then the pandemic hit. So I, in March, I moved into movie trailers, out of commercials into movie trailers. I was there for about three weeks. And then all theaters in the whole world shut down. And I was making like huge, like Marvel movie trailers, big, huge film trailers. And I was so excited about it. And then the universe was like, no. Not yet. So I was stuck at home for a few months, as we all were, without any work, without anything to do, except for endless chats with friends. And I don't know if you experienced that too, but it was like every night was a different wine happy hour over Zoom with some friends from childhood, friends from school, friends, you know, co-workers, friends from LA that I couldn't see that were a few miles away. And the through line of every conversation I had was, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to do this. Like we're stuck inside and we're super anxious. How do we calm our anxiety? Or, oh my God, we're going through a breakup and we, we can't leave our house. Like, how do we survive this? Or I am furloughed. And now in America, we do our taxes in April. How do we, we're stuck inside. How do we do our own taxes? If we don't, we can't go find somebody or I can't consult anybody, or how do I save money? How do I know when it's time to leave a job or know how to get the courage to change in my life? Or there is so much that we don't know. So I wrote 96 chapters of them. I actually wrote over a hundred chapters and then I ended up cutting a few because I was like, eh, that's not super important. But how did the idea come about then for you to write a book since you said, you know, your background is production and movies. You never intended on being an author. No, I didn't. And the reason that I wrote it is I've never been somebody that likes reading that much. But the conversations that I was having with people were like, I have gone through five pages of Google. I have clicked on 20 links. I still don't have an answer. Everybody's articles now, the purpose of the internet, the purpose of Google at the original fruition was quick, fast answers that's gone away. Mm. Now everybody's got an answer. Everybody's got an opinion. You don't know what to sift through, what to look for, what link is real, what link isn't, what's the truth, what's just some dude in his basement not knowing what's right. And so the reason I wrote a book is I wanted it to be the go-to spot where you don't have to dig through five or six pages of Google and endless links, but you also don't have to read a giant book on one topic. I was like, there's no reason your bookshelf should have 96 books for 96 topics. It should have one book. Each of those chapters is between three to five pages. There is no reason that we should have all of, there's, there's never going to be a time where you need everything. All of these needs are going to come up throughout your life, but they're not going to all happen right now. So put it down, put it on a bookshelf, come back to it when you need it, pick it up, read a couple chapters, read one chapter get your answer and go about your life. That's the whole purpose of it. I thought about making it a blog, thought about putting out in the world for free, thought about just any other way to do it. But I was like, it'll get lost in the ether that way. There are a million blogs. There are a million things like this. I wanted it to be something somebody gifted to a recent graduate or something somebody has on their bookshelf. So basically book is split into four sections for the listeners and it's I'm going to call it like Natasha's go-to for life book uh, we just had a little bit of a dispute prior to clicking record on whether we were putting it under self-development or what so what did what did you decide we were categorizing the book as? yeah I hate the term self-help 
oh, it's like so you know how to help yourself. Everybody knows how to go get help. This is a self-guide book. It's just a little bit of guidance. Just a little bit of guidance. Like a little bit of, I need my best friend to tell me what to do. Let me go grab this book. That's all it is. And I wrote it from my own life experiences. So it's also a little bit of a memoir. It's like, learn through my mistakes. Learn through my failures. Learn through what I've done wrong. So if you're looking for the the structured, you know, man sitting in a suit telling you what to do that's totally not this no (laughs) this is is lots of profanity lots of humor to talk about stuff nobody ever wants to talk about there's a reason we don't know these things we don't know these things because they're boring they weren't covered in school and they're the things everybody avoids but they're the things everybody needs to know that's the exactly the chapters you're like you know what yeah I really want to know about this I haven't got a fucking clue how to do it what it means so on and so forth there's a million other people in the world battling that hurdle but for some reason none of us are talking about it so really you're all the stuff getting people talking about these things yes it's all the stuff nobody talks about it's all the stuff like there's chapters in there where it's having not just falling in love but having the courage to fall in love Mm -hmm. it's not just making a change it's trusting that you are capable of making a change having the evidence to say your life has never stayed the same. Your life is not the same today that it was five, 10 years ago. So you have made change. You can do it again. Don't be afraid to start over. Everybody's like, you know, I'm 40 years old right now. And I don't know if I can do another career change. Uh, Well, in three, four years, you're going to be 43, 44. Do you want to be 43, 44 in a career that you love? Or do you want to be 43, 44 being like, now I'm 44 and I don't know if I can make another career change. It's like, just do it. But your book kind of makes people, it, it almost makes people think a little bit more about what is stopping them and what is holding them back. Cause you're like, yeah, like, fuck yeah, this is normal. Like it's normal for you to think, Oh, I don't know how to do this. Or, or I don't know what, I don't know, you know, how I should be dealing with that. And you're like, well, actually this is, this is kind of how I've, I've attacked this thing. So the book is in. Right. And everybody's dealt with it. Exactly. So the book is in four categories for the listeners. Um, career and money shit, relationship shit, mind shit, and life shit. So these are the four sections. And then each section has got its own individual chapters on all of the different things that fall under that umbrella. Is yes. That a good description? <laughs> That's an excellent description. I, I don't think I could do that better. Um, yeah, that was perfect. And each section has about 20 to 25 chapters and they are wide ranging. Mm. So it's not what everybody needs all the time. If you're talking about like the mind stuff, there's sections in there on sadness and depression. There's sections in there on anxiety. There's sections in there on catastrophic thinking, overthinking, uh, various mental health things that will not apply to every single person, but one of them will apply to everyone. So do you want to share a little bit more about your personal life experiences then that helped sort of bring this book together? Oh yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about all of it. Um, all right, where to start? So I, we talked a little bit before we hit record. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease when I was in my mid-20s. I have struggled through health issues, which uh, Anybody who has struggled through health issues means you're also struggling through mental health issues. You're struggling through frustration, anger, possibly a little bit of depression, a little bit of anxiety, um, and figuring out how to navigate that when all of the doctors are saying, here, take a drug. I have been in long relationships. I was with somebody for nine years that I met when I was 19, and then I've been in very short relationships, some of those healthier than the others. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I have been, I have a wide range of friends. I have amazing parents and a brother who have taught me things that I wouldn't have figured out by myself. So all of the things in my life, and, and like we said, like traveling, traveling teaches you things that other things never would. And so all the things in my life have culminated into a a base of experience. And when I intro the book, what I say is everybody has a different base of knowledge. Everybody has different experiences. Everybody has different knowledge. That's just a fact. So there is no, there's no right or wrong way to do a life. 
there's no right or wrong way to solve a problem in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. But having the tools to make a decision that's right for you is the most important thing. What's right for me is not going to be right for you all of the time and vice versa. And that's true for every person. So all this book is saying is, this is how I did it. This is the tools that I use to get there. If you use the same tools, you might have a different conclusion. You could do it a totally different way. Just here are the tools that I used. Here was the conclusion I came to. And for the experiences in the book that obviously you haven't personally dealt with, what were you doing? You were going and speaking to friends, strangers? Yes. Lots of that was through conversations with friends. came from those Zoom happy hours where I didn't know things. And I'm talking to friends and they're like, oh, I've dealt with this. Here you go. Or it's been through observations of friends and them saying, oh, I really wish I had done that differently. That was a mistake. I really wish I had known this. And I'm like, well, then let's tell the world because the world probably will make the same mistake. Nothing in this book is for a small section of people. Everything is a wide ranging topic. It just may not apply to everybody right now. But it will at some stage. I mean, you only oh, yeah. go through <laughs> each chapter and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You find yourself like to every single thing being like, that is relatable. And the one thing that I do like about some of the content of this book is you've removed stigma about issues that maybe we feel a bit of like shame around or a little bit of... um I guess embarrassment. I'm not sure if that's quite the right word, but you know, am I the only one that's anxious? Am I the only one that's overthinking? You know, am I the only one that doesn't know how to do their taxes or whatever it might be? And actually you're going, look, look at all this shit. This is called being an adult. This is all the shit of being an adult in one book. You are not on your own. We're all dealing with this shit. Yeah. Or it's the people that are having these thoughts and not even knowing what they're called or what to go look up. Like there are plenty of times where people are like, I, I would have asked the question. I just don't know what the question is, or I would have searched it in Google, but I don't know what to search. And so I wrote a chapter in there, like we were just talking about on catastrophic thinking. And most people don't know what catastrophic thinking is. They just think they wake up at two o'clock in the morning and they're, they're stuck in a two hour loop of all the worst things that could happen in their day tomorrow. Or like they're having a fake fight in the shower with their friend the fight happened hours ago and now they have the response. So they're reliving the fight with all the best comebacks. And you're like, <laughs> it's always the okay, way. <laughs> that's always the way. Every shower fight, I always win. <laughs> but, <laughs> but with that said, what would happen if you had the tools in those moments to have a productive conversation? Mm-hmm. Like the what's below that layer. I was talking to a friend of mine in September and the what's below that chapter came out of that conversation where she was like, my boyfriend and I have been stuck inside for six months and every other day we are having the exact same fight. Like we are having the same exact fight about a different topic, but it's the same fight. And I was like, okay, that's because you're not digging any deeper. The fight right now that you're having is you left your socks on the floor, you never do laundry. You left your dishes in the sink, you're never cleaning you're napping in the middle of the day when I have to work or you're on the phone when I'm on the phone and I can't hear. And I'm like, what all of those fights are is you don't care about me as much as I care about you. Mm. Or all of those fights are you're not putting the effort into the relationship that I need. There's something below the layer. And in the chapter, I give all the tools to dig into what's below that. Maybe you now have a singular fight of you don't, I feel like you don't care about this relationship or you're not putting in the effort in this relationship in a way that I need. And now you have a conversation about your needs. And then maybe in two weeks you have a fight and it's based on the same, I don't think you care about me, but now you're having that fight in a productive way. And maybe there's a layer even below that Mm. of I have had past relationships where I feel like people ignore my needs and here's what I need to have my needs met and when they're not met I feel like you're one foot out the door I feel like I'm being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. and so maybe each fight you're digging a little layer deeper but 
at least you're not having the same fight every day without getting any deeper. Yeah. And not being like those menial fights that actually are just glossing over what you're actually not addressing. Yeah. So there's the approach that I do is the who, what, where, when, why. Who am I mad at in this fight? Is it him? Is it me? Is it actually I'm mad at my coworker from the fight that I had earlier and now I'm taking it out on him? And it's like, when? When are these fights happening? Are they happening every night before bed when I'm exhausted? Are they happening every Friday when I'm exhausted? Are they happening <laughs> so when the I'm hungry? Is exhaustion. <laughs> it's exhaustion. It's hunger. Are they, or are they genuinely happening in the moment? Yeah. And it might just be like, no, I'm genuinely mad at him. I'm genuinely mad when the fight is happening. I'm genuinely mad when and where it takes place. My why is always on point with the fight. Okay, then what do you want to do about it? What is the next step? What is the approach that you want to take? Because having the fight about the dishes and the laundry and everything isn't productive because you're not saying what you actually need in those moments. And I give examples of fights that I've had in the past where I will pause the fight and say, you know what? We're talking in circles. And the reason we're talking in circles is I don't actually know what this hurt in me. I know I'm upset, but until I figure out what part of me this hurt, I won't be able to tell you why I'm hurt. Mm. So I might be upset because you did something that hurt me, but if I don't know why it hurt me, we're not going to get anywhere. So let's take a beat. I'm going to go. This is where I differ from most people. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to think on it in my own space. Let's pause on it and let's come back to this when I know why I'm hurt. Because so many emotions surge when you're in a fight that mm. you may not understand in that moment what's actually hurting you. You just know that you're hurt. And so you're just yelling. And you can't unyell fuck you across a room. So <laughs> maybe take a beat before you say something that you're going to regret and, <laughs> and figure out what you actually want to do. What's the actual productive solution? One of my um, favorite parts of the book was when you were discussing going to the doctor's surgery. And you were going to a new doctor's and you had to fill out the form. Yeah. And you and this for me was like, okay, yeah, I know this feeling. We all know this feeling. So you've got to fill out the form, whatever the form might be. And they want your emergency contact details, you know, your case of emergency person. And you said, you know, I'd, I'd recently broken up from my ex-partner, long-term relationship. All of a sudden I'm there thinking, fuck, who do I put down? You know, am I too old to put my parents? I don't want to put this responsibility on my friend. And that for me, I was just like, yeah, like I know this. And like towards the end of that chapter, you start talking about trying to, you know, learn to become your own person and put these really stringent plans in place. What are you going to do if your car breaks down? What are you going to do if you need help with something, you know? And you said that once you learn to be your own person, actually life is a lot more smooth running because you're not, you're not anxious about those things. You've got the plans in place. And I love that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. The be your own person chapter seems to resonate with a lot of people. I was in a relationship. I met somebody at 19 and I left that relationship just a month shy of turning 28. And so a majority of my 20s, when you're becoming your own person and you're going out into the world and you're putting emergency contacts down or you're, you're setting up your whole life, you are setting up everything to be an adult. He was the person I put down. And then a couple months later, I went to the doctor and they give you so many forms when you go to a new doctor and they give you 30 seconds to fill them out. They give you like a pen, 30 seconds. And they're like, ready, go. We're going to call on you in two minutes. And I sat there and I was like, who's my emergency contact? Like I could put my mom, but I'm 28. It feels wrong to put my mom because like, she's not going to want to help me right now. If like I pass out at this doctor's office, she has a job. She's busy. What it is, is I don't want to rely on my parents like I did when I was a kid. Yeah. But I thought I had to rely, and it's beyond the emergency contact. It was just an illuminating moment of I had relied so much in my life on having a person there if I fell and and not a physical fall, a metaphorical fall. If I stumble in my life, there was somebody there to be like, it's okay. You're going to get back up. You're going to figure this out. You're going to keep going. If you lose a job, there's that person who's like, you're fine. You're going to get back up. You're going to keep going. Yeah. But yeah, if your car breaks down, 
you're going to get back up and you're going to keep going. Like everything that you thought in your life that you were like, I need a person to tell me I'm okay, to tell me I can keep going. No, you don't. You get to be your own person. You get to be the person that says, I'm okay. I can keep going. And if your car breaks down on the side of the road, call an Uber, call AAA, call a tow truck, call whoever you need to call. You are a strong enough person to figure out your own solution. You don't need a second person there to help you figure out a solution. It's almost being your own sort of net to catch yourself when you fall. And if you exactly. learn to do that, life does feel better because it removes a lot of that anxiety around not necessarily having someone. And I, that's quote unquote, you know, because you have got someone, you've got you, but you, you feel you've like got you external person to sort of catch you. And you, you actually don't, particularly in this day and age when a lot of women and men choose to stay single because of their careers and having to relocate with work and so on and so forth. And they remove themselves from their friendship circles, their family circles, maybe they travel across the world. And if you don't learn to stand on your own two feet, how are you actually ever going to get through life? Because shit's always going to go wrong. There's no situation in my life that's never messy. Life is really messy. Life is really hard. It's incredibly hard. And for some reason, like in school, they're like, okay, if you just get a job, you'll make more money, you'll have a house, you'll have a family, you'll have the perfect life. Nobody talks about how hard it is to get all those things. And then when you get them, you may not want them. Yep. You, you do not necessarily want everything that everybody else has. But what would it look like? I, and this is probably the worst way to word this. So if you left your life right now, if you got up and you moved away, you wouldn't know anybody. You wouldn't know the people around you. You wouldn't know your neighbor that you've probably lived next to for years and know that if your house burns down, they'll help you. You wouldn't know all of your friends that you go out to dinner with because you would have to make new friends. You would have to make new safety nets, but you've done it before. You've done everything in your life before. And if you know that you're going to be fine and that you can trust yourself and your own gut and your own decision-making, then when you move, if you that trust is there in yourself, you can do it all again. You can do anything. You do not need another person. And I think a lot of people don't make a change because they're so afraid of what if this goes horribly wrong? What if it doesn't happen again? You know, like I've had the same friends since I was five. What if I move and I don't make new friends? I like the chapter on making new friends as well. That was that was a poignant thing because as an adult, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, it's it's that imposter syndrome that's like, oh, like are they gonna want to be my friend? Like I don't know if they're gonna like me or not. And and putting yourself out there, that fear of rejection, and you say about being like that little six year old, just being like, hey, like let's be pals, you know. And but right? that, that goes when you're like an adult and sometimes it's not well received. Look, I've, I've lived all over the world and I've really had to put myself out there. And particularly when I came to the UK, then uh, a few years back, it was, you know, yeah, it was a bit like, Oh, and, and I felt sad saying, Oh, I don't know many people. But then I was just like, well, like you said, I've done it before. So I'll do it again. And I, I I've always made friends and, and I'm lucky now that I have made some nice friends, but it is that putting, putting yourself out there to send that first, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be slide into their DMS on Instagram or, you know, drop them a WhatsApp and be like, Hey, like, do you want to grab a coffee? Yeah. And it's super scary. There's nothing that's easy about that. But the six-year-old walked up to the kid's coloring and asked to borrow a marker in a certain color and didn't think, oh, I wonder if they're going to judge me for liking purple. Oh, I wonder if they're going to think I don't color that well. Oh, no. What if I'm not wearing the right outfit? What if I smell? What if that six-year-old didn't think a single thought? They thought, I want to play with that purple marker. I'm going to go ask that person. And while you're coloring... You don't even have to be talking when you're a kid. You're suddenly best friends with the person because you both like coloring. And then we grow up and we get insecurities and we get very self-conscious and we're taught by the outside world. You have to look a certain way. You have to like certain things. And all of that is just the societal built up. And when you really meet somebody who you feel like you could just sit next to and color, those are your people. 
Yeah. You've probably, like you said, met people and you're like, I wasn't well received. They did judge my outfit. They did judge the way I talked. Okay, those aren't your people. But your people are out there and you will find them. But making friends as an adult is really hard. When I was a little girl, my grandmother lived in Spain and I didn't speak Spanish. So I made friends with my grandmother had like a villa and it was in a big circle of villas and it was like a big green in the middle. And I don't remember how, maybe my grandmother knew the family. I'm not too sure, but I made friends with a little girl that lived across the road or across this green in a villa. She spoke Spanish. I spoke English. We had a really solid friendship and we would play together all day, every day. And we didn't even speak the same language. And that just shows how like, fearless kids are that we're like we're gonna like each other and we don't even know what we're saying to each other so yeah why do we struggle to do this so much as an adult because when you were a kid there was no self-conscious oh I don't speak the same language oh I don't know if they're gonna like the way that I speak oh like how are we gonna communicate because you already were communicating just a few years before without speaking Mm. so there wasn't any fear and we have this pressure that we're supposed to know who we are We're supposed to be fearless and bold in who we are and not waver on that. And then you go and you meet a new person and they're like, oh, I hate that band. And you're like, oh, yeah, I hate that band, too. You like (laughs) secretly love them. And you're only doing that because you're so afraid of other people liking you. Where if you just chilled for a second and you became that five year old, you'd realize that if they like that band and you don't, you can still be friends. Yeah. Those five-year-olds wouldn't care about that, but they also wouldn't judge you for it. I think a lot of the confidence, I would say personally anyway, in yourself does come with age because I think through your 20s, for me, I was very interchangeable and I would sort of change who and how I was with the different groups that I surrounded myself with. As I then got into my 30s, I was like, no, this is me. I'm outspoken. I swear too much. I'm loud, very eccentric. And I love a good old fashioned debate. And I'm quite happy to sit there and have a controlled argument. (laughs) I'm going to say. You and I would get along great. Yeah. Oh man, Danny, you and I would get along so well that you just (laughs) described me in like five bullet points. That's exactly me. Maybe that's why I was so like drawn to you because for me, obviously with the podcast, I was like, right, adulting is shit and it's really hard and I don't know how to fucking do this and I'm a married woman I'm coming up 37 I've got a house I've got some dogs you know I've got a career and I'm still like I don't really know what I'm doing and then I saw this book like shit adults never taught us and I was like yeah this chick knows this chick knows the score on adulting it's really fucking hard and she's here to say yeah this is hard so here's some like life pointers and I'll try and help you with the shit that I've struggled with. But the main key is the shit, the main shit adults never taught us is nobody knows what they're doing. No, nobody knows. We're all pretending like we know. We're all pretending that there's this like magical age. Like you get to, I, I keep raising it. When I was five, I would be like, oh, when I'm 18, I'm going to know everything. And then you're 18 and you're like, oh, when I'm 30, I'm going to know everything. Now I'm like, I just want to know some stuff before I'm dead. Maybe <laughs> I just want to know a little bit more, but everybody's faking it till we make it. I, I think it's really funny that you said that because in my head, I've, I've said this to several friends before. In my head, there's an age that eventually I'm going to reach and it's called my I don't give a fuck age. I don't know what that age will be, but like every birthday I get to, I'm like, oh yes, I'm one year closer to I don't give a fuck age. <laughs> I don't know when it's going to happen. But it's definitely coming up because every year I give just a little less of a fuck about what people think of me, what people think of what I'm doing or the way I live my life. Like, I don't believe that things have to happen in a certain way. I don't believe that life has to be linear. And I don't believe that things are supposed to be quote unquote normal for every person. There is no normal. We're all making it up. We're all making up what life is. So if we're all making up what life is, we're all making up what normal is. We're all trying to fit into what that we think that is. Because again, we're trying to make friends and we're trying to look responsible, especially with social media. Like we're putting out all these things and you're like, look at this perfect dish that I made because I'm so domestic and I figured out how to cook. I don't know how to cook. But like also how many 
tries did it take you to get to that perfect yeah, dish? I don't see I that part. <laughs> you don't, but oh, I would so much rather see that. I would so much rather see the five failures you did before, before you got to this perfect dish that you wanted to post on Instagram, because that's more interesting. Like, I want to know how hard did you laugh when like your souffle exploded? I want to know all of that. Collapse, yeah. Collapse in the middle. <laughs> that was like my first five attempts. <laughs> yes, but that's real. I want to see that. I want to know what happened. And and that's the connection is everybody's trying to be so perfect. And so, you know, you're trying to be cool, but you're also trying to be chill and you're trying to be likable that it's exhausting. And if you were just like, this is my real life and I've made all of these mistakes, that would probably attract more people anyways, because they're like, oh my God, I made the same mistake. I made the same exact mistake when I made that dish. Like. Isn't that so funny? And if you just level with a person on the same, we are flawed human beings. I am a deeply flawed human being. I'm just taking it day by day, trying to figure it out. If we could level on the same flaws, this might work out. Hopefully. I remember being, I think maybe, I was about 28, I would say, maybe 27, 28. And I can remember walking down um, Cooper Street in Surrey Hills in Sydney with my best friend, Jackie. And she's a few years younger than me. And I I was saying to her, you know, I've really got to sort my shit out now because I've got to grow up. Like, this is it. I've got to grow up. I've got to sort my life out. So like, I can't keep being like this. And she's like being like, she's very, very carefree. Like being like, what? Your life's great. What do you want about? And I'm like, well, the thing is I'm getting to this certain age and I probably need to meet someone and settle down. And none of that shit needed to happen. Like none of it. I actually, all of my life developments came in my thirties. They didn't really come in my twenties. And even now that I've done these life developments, like I still don't really feel like an adult. Like I laugh. I say that I'm married and I laugh because I'm like, I don't really know what's a wife supposed to be like. What's a married yeah. couple supposed to be like? We're not like the married couples you see on TV. That nobody is. Those aren't real. So like they're like two kids playing there. <laughs> Those aren't real. But like, like you say, like I the inverse of that is people think that you have to have a reason to explain why things aren't perfect. So you have to have a reason to explain why your life is that certain way. And I caveat a lot of things and I hear myself doing it. Like, like I just bought a brand new car and it's like, so I bought a Lexus hybrid, but I feel like I am too young to own like a nice car. Like I had a Fiat 500 before, like this little, like little tiny thing I would drive around and park. And I thought I was the shit. And I was like, this is a cool car. And then it just broke down on the side of the road. And I was like, you know what? I'm at a point in my life where I'm making enough money. I'm grown up enough where I feel like good about getting myself a nice car. I went out, I bought myself a car. But then when people are like, oh, you got yourself a Lexus. I'm like, yes, but it's used. I bought it used. It's a hybrid. It's good for the environment. Like, I feel like I have to defend this. Like I'm defending my choices. Why can't you just be like, no, yeah, thanks. I bought a car. It's a car. It, it's fully operational. Like, who cares? <laughs> I don't have to caveat it. You're not convinced of like your adultness. That's not even a word, but that's the word I'm going to use. You're not convinced of your adultness. So when you're sort of achieving these uh, quote unquote adult, you know, like hurdles or whatever, you still don't really believe. And I don't think I'm ever going to believe at any age that I'm actually an adult. I don't think so either. And I think I still feel like I'm playing dress up. Yeah, I do because I'm, first of all, I'm very short. I'm five feet. And so, and I'm also very young for what I do. A lot of the people that I work with are five, 10, 15 years older than me and taller than me. And so when I'm in person, when I'm working in an office, I usually wear heels every day because I feel like I'm, a, tall enough to be in the conversation and B, like grown up. Like it makes me feel like, oh, I fit in with you guys. Like I'm not the kid at the table. But I got there because I'm qualified, because I do good work, because I can do that job. I didn't get there by faking it. I mean, I did. I know that I was like, you know, everybody's got imposter syndrome. I did what I had to do to get into these positions where I trained, worked my ass off, figured out all of the things that went around these, these job responsibilities. So I've proven myself to get there and I still feel like a kid every day. I still feel like I 
somebody's going to wake up and be like, how did she make it this long? Fire her. What? Did, how did we let this kid slip in for so long? I like any day, but every decision, it's not even just that. It's the decisions of you feel like you have to have this reason that you explain to people. I feel like I have to have a reason for every decision in my life that quote unquote isn't normal by societies, right? Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about um, the relationship that I was in that was very long. And when I chose to end that, I spent like a whole night figuring out how I'm going to tell people like the reason I decided to end a nearly decade long relationship where everybody was like, you guys are going to be together forever. You guys are so perfect. On the outside, we were. On the inside, we were anything but perfect. We were a completely flawed, not working couple, but nobody cheated. Nobody did anything horribly wrong. Nobody was abusive. So in my head, I was like, I don't know how to tell people that it's not going to continue that this relationship is over and I told my brother first because I was like he's the least sort of judgmental person that I know and he's also the person that'll just be like okay like he just doesn't ask any follow-up questions whenever I tell him any news in my life he just goes oh okay so I was like I'm gonna tell him first before I tell other people and see what questions he asks me after that call and he has no questions I was like Oh, I don't owe an explanation to anybody. Uh I don't have to tell anyone a reason. And so I got good at that. I got good at being like, you know, there's a lot of reasons. It's a very layered thing. It's between us. I don't feel comfortable sharing that. I got good at it. But eventually, a few years have gone by now where I just feel comfortable being like, I wasn't in it anymore. I didn't want to be in that relationship anymore, so I left. There doesn't have to be a reason. I thought that because... It didn't look like those breakups on TV where somebody cheated, somebody was abusive. You had that fiery, dramatic moment where you're like, this is over and somebody stormed out. That never happened. That I thought, nobody's going to get it. And I thought I had to explain it to the whole world. And then when I realized I didn't and that there is no normal, life doesn't look like what it looks like on TV, then you just, you sink into, all right, well, this is what my life is. And you own it. You're owning your life. Yeah. You're unapologetic. Yeah. Unapologetically you. Yes. Which is how everyone wants to authentically live and be. They just want to be their true, authentic self. Yes. And there's, um, especially women, there's the societal expectation that what we're trying to do in our own lives is in the view of others. Like I am so, I'm working so hard to make sure everybody around me loves all the choices I'm making. Do I love the choices I'm making? Do I feel confident in the things that I'm doing? Because sometimes I'm like, did I really want to do that? Did I actually want to make that choice? Or did I feel like I had to make that choice because it was easy to explain and rationalize to the people around me? Like, oh yeah, of course I took that job. It was a raise and it was a promotion. Of course I took that job. But did I take that job because I want that job? Or did I take that job because it was a promotion and a raise and I thought that that's what I should be doing, like making leveling up in my life? Am I going to be miserable there? Am I going to hate that job now? Because I knew in my gut that I would hate it at that company, but I only took it because I thought I should. Yeah. Like, and that happens a lot. And then the, it, it, I think it does happen more for women because there was an article that I read a few years ago that said, if you studied women's emails and men's emails, women more often will start something that they confidently know with, I think, I feel, I believe, like, I think think you accidentally send the wrong link. I think there is a potential scheduling discrepancy in what you just said. I think you may have meant this. We're so careful to like tiptoe around it. I did a little experiment once where I sent a mass email out to a bunch of people that says attached is blah, blah, blah. Please find attached, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't attach anything. And most people have to reply and be like, I didn't get the attachment. Most women would reply and be like, I think the attachment didn't come through on my computer. Would you mind resending? Or (laughs) I think there may have been an error. I I believe that there wasn't anything attached. Men will just be like, nothing's attached. Please send. (laughs) I think because men are less emotional as well. So women are, are Less confrontational, for sure, than men. And that's scientific. But we don't want to hurt the feelings. We don't want to hurt that person's feelings. We don't want to be like, you messed up. You forgot to attach something. So let me take your mistake on as my own. And let me say, 
I think my computer messed up and didn't get your attachment. Can you pretty please, I'm so sorry to inconvenience you. Can you pretty please resend it as opposed to, do you mind resending the attachment? It didn't come through. There's no fault in that sentence. There's no inconvenience to either person. But, and yes, men can definitely take a lesson there and be a little less confrontational, a little less harsh, a little less forward. They're very direct. They're very direct, but there doesn't have to be a tiptoeing around. And it's not one or the other. It's not men are always direct. Women are always Mm. indirect. But there is an indirectness in society where we feel like we have to take on the burden of everyone else to make everyone else feel comfortable. That I have to tiptoe around things to make everyone else feel like I'm not going to rock any boat. One of the hurdles for me in life, and it it did sort of play out for, for years until I started getting pulled up on it, was it was almost like I was asking people's permission to do things. And if anyone yeah. knows me, I'm not that type of woman. I do what I want when I want. And actually, if you tell me not to do it, I'll probably just do it because you've told me not to. But I found myself <laughs> when I was trying to explain that I was going to go and do something, I would almost be like asking people's permission. And it was actually my husband that first said it to me. And he was like, I think it was something very simple that I was explaining. And he was like, well, okay, like basically stop going on. You know, why are you, he was like, why are you asking my, and I was like, I'm not asking your permission to do it. And he was like, well, like, why are you going so into detail about it? Like, cool. Like if you're doing whatever it's like, off you go. But, and then I said to my girlfriends, like, is this something I do? Yeah. I asked my parents, is this something I do? Yeah. And I thought, shit, I've got to start becoming more accountable for how I'm putting these things across because I'm not actually asking anyone's permission. So why am I giving you all the details? The same thing you said back with your relationship. I don't have to, I don't owe you details. I don't owe you. You probably, (laughs) no. And you probably got that the same way I did when you started saying you were traveling alone. When I started Uh, saying I'm going to travel alone, the way I would phrase, I'm going to travel alone. I didn't realize I was doing it, but I was inviting people to insert their opinions into it Mm. by the way I was phrasing it. And then eventually when I stopped doing that, I was like, oh, nobody's offering unsolicited advice anymore. Like people still have concerns. People will still say like, oh, do you think it's safe? Do you think it's unsafe? But the way I was phrasing it before was like, like, I'm thinking about traveling for a month alone in Spain. And people would be like, oh, well, do you think that's a good idea? But because I was saying, I'm thinking about, it's like, do you want help with that decision? Let me tell you what I think. And then I would get offended almost that other people thought that they could tell me how to live my life. And I'm like, no, I'm doing this. And then like, I'm very stubborn. It's very similar where I'm like, if you say I can't do it, I'm going to go do it just to prove you wrong. So, (laughs) so when people are like, well, you can't travel alone in Spain. What about the money? What about, is it safe? What about all of these things. And I would be like, well, I'm going to go do it just to show you that I can. Yeah. And I'm still the person that does that. And it's not a flattering trait. I'm trying to get better. I'm notoriously indecisive. Once I make a decision, I second guess it. And I'm the kind of person that will overthink a very small thing. I will overthink it till the end of the day. I will stir on it like nothing else. And then I will get so fed up with myself that I will say, fuck it. And I will just make a decision. And it was a waste of energy and time to overthink all of these things because at the end of the day, I'm just going to say, fuck it and flip a coin. So I don't understand why I go through these things. But once I make a decision, I'm still phrasing things to people. Despite the fact that I've already made up my mind, I'm still phrasing it like, I don't know. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I won't. In my head, I absolutely know. But I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it so that other people are like, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. And then I feel more confident in it or I'm doing it where people are like, oh, are you sure? That's not a great idea where I can be like, yeah, it is. Watch me. (laughs) One of the other, um, one of the other topics you brought up in the book was uh, you would, and this is obviously, I have a lot of women listeners and we all, for all the single women wonder about partners and how you pick the right partner. And you were discussing unrealistic expectations of finding perfection quote unquote, in a relationship. And you were saying that you have to look for real, not perfection. And I've said this time and time again, I mean, is my husband perfect? No. 
can I put up with the shit that's not perfect about him? I mean, yeah, in general, I can. I'd rather that I didn't have to, but I can. <laughs> you know, in the same hymn for me, yeah. you know, nobody is perfect. Sometimes you just have to suck it up and you have to be realistic. There's a lot of people out there who are like, I can't find anybody. There's nobody that's right out there. I, I keep going on these horrible dates. And that's the, the common denominator in a lot of relationships is people think there's something better out there. Mm. So they're so fidgety and frustrated. And they're like, I'm looking for this perfect person in my head. I've got their their whole list. They do this and this and this and this and this and this. Okay. Say you find the person who does all six things that you love and that you're like, that's my perfect person. That person's still going to leave cabinet doors open. They're still going to scroll through their phone while you're watching a TV show that you wanted them to see. They're still going to drive too fast or too slow, but they might hit all your other checkpoints. But if you're the kind of person that's like, oh, damn, I really thought that's what I wanted, but now they annoy me doing this. You have to decide, Mm. is it the perfect person for you or not? Because there is no perfect person. There's no perfect person in the whole world. And the harder part of that is if there's no perfect person in the whole world, that means you're not perfect either. (laughs) So if you're thinking, I'm in a relationship and I'm a fucking catch and that person is so lucky to have me, they, they probably are. But you also have to recognize you might be hitting all their bullet points but you also leave your socks all over the floor. Yeah. You never do dishes. Like you're also flawed. And that person has made the conscious choice to date you despite those things. So you have to make the conscious choice to date them despite their flaws. And if you're not able to put up with those things, move on. But if you want to be in the relationship, if you want to make it work, you got to let those things go. Because you're going to start resenting that person. I've seen it with girlfriends and all my girlfriends now that do listen to the show will be like, oh, was that me? Was that me she was <laughs> about? But I've seen it with with girlfriends of mine over the years. And it's that, unfortunately, it's that egotistical trait where they can't own their own shit. So they're, they're very quick to sling mud at their partner or ex-partner. Like, yeah, you know, and he did this and he was so bad and he was so wrong. But from, and I always very much sit on the fence and I'm biased view. I look at both sides, whether they're my friend or not. And I'm like, yeah, but... Also, from his perspective, you do X, Y, and Z, and fuck, like, if I had to date you, I'd murder you. So, you know, you're not looking, you're not looking at your own shit. So, okay, great. Like, the, the shit he's doing might not be for you, but have you ever stopped to think that maybe the shit you're doing might be getting them down or might not be for them? And that's fine if you're in a relationship and you're like, this person is annoying the shit out of me because of these things. And I can't, I can't anymore. I can't deal with it. And if you don't want to own your own shit in that, that's fine, Mm. but move on, let them go. There's some people I have dated that I have looked at and been like, oh my God, you are so perfect for somebody else. You're just not perfect for me. You're an awesome person. You're great. I can't wait for you to find your person. It's just not me. Like, I'm so excited for when you do. I'm going to go find my person. I can see how the things that annoy me just wouldn't annoy somebody else. But it's about growing as a person and being confident with who you are, what you are, what you're looking for, what you've got to offer and what you want your partner to offer in return. And that is a lot of people struggle with. That's the key is it's knowing what, what you need as opposed to what you want. Like, I know what I need in a relationship. I know when my needs are met in a relationship, but I also know what I want. I also know I need this, but it'd be nice to have this. So when I'm meeting a person and they hit all of my needs, then it's the honest conversation with myself of like, what's going on inside of me that's not making this work? Mm. And if it's truly like there is a deeper flaw, that's something that has to be addressed. But maybe it's just not a connection. There are certain people out there where you're like, this is what I thought I needed from this person. It's just not a connection. But you got to own that. You can't sit in a relationship being like, I thought this was what I wanted. I really did. And now I'm bored or I'm disappointed or your gut is there for a reason. It's going to tell you. It's a bit like Julia Roberts in the movie Eat, Pray, Love. 
and she had this perfect life and this perfect husband and this beautiful home and this great job. And, you know, she was laying there like, I am not happy and I don't know why. And then when she just like left the husband, packed up the job and took off, you know, traveling and everyone was like, are you crazy? But through that, actually, she built the perfect life because she owned her shit. She recognized that she wasn't happy and she didn't stay in something just because society said that was the right thing to do. I know that's a really cheesy sort of comparison. No, but then she did that. Liz Gilbert did that several other times. Yeah. Yeah. Liz Gilbert then went met the guy in Bali And at the time she was like, you know what? I didn't want to live in Bali. I didn't think that this is what it was, but she ended up staying for him. And then a few years later, she decided, you know what? This is no longer right for me. And she moves on and she goes and she finds somebody else. She's awesome. She's got such a cool life story. But if you take lessons from her, what she's saying is what I need right now, I'm going to satisfy my needs right now with the person that I'm with right now or the person I choose to be with. But in, t- in five, 10 years, that may not be the same person. Yeah. In five, 10 years, my needs may change and I may need a different person. My needs may change and this person no longer can meet them. Mm. So I have to go out into the world and I have to figure myself out again. I have to find myself again and now find out what my needs are. But if you're under the impression that you're going to just find a person, fall in love and live happily ever after without any work, that's a pipe dream Mm -hmm. no relationship is perfect no relationship has zero work every relationship is work because it's two individual people I always think that the my advice to all of my friends my advice to my younger self was you need to have your list of five non-negotiables and your partner for me needs to they 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 have to meet those non-negotiables and then make a list of five negotiables it's things you'd want so you've got your needs you've got your wants your needs, you have to have them. You want, you would like. So if they tick a couple of boxes, it's great. I do believe that if you take that recipe and put it into effect, you are potentially, not always, but potentially going to find a good connection and a partner. Yeah, that's probably true. And people disappoint themselves more than they're ever disappointed by others. Yeah, that's true. I think that's really true. People have this way of disappointing themselves and then they don't understand how it happened. They put their expectations really high. Have you ever thought about a career change and going into therapy or anything like that? I'm not super great at giving advice one-on-one because I don't feel comfortable telling anybody else how to live their life. I'm like, this is what worked for me, but it might not work for you. So I don't want to tell you to go do what I did or what I think you should do. All I can tell you is, From the outside, it doesn't look like this is working for you. So I would say, go look, go figure out what does. I can't tell you like, this isn't working for you. So go do these five things. And then it'll all be okay. Cause it might. And then it will all be okay. It won't be okay. Life is really messy. It won't be okay, but it could be better. (laughs) So what's in the pipeline for you now, after you've released the book, which we'll talk a little bit more about now with your release dates and where people can, can get hold of the book. Yeah. Uh, it's in the pipeline the, for you. Oh boy, the pipeline. I mean, I still have my day job, still making broadcast commercials, still doing all of that. Um, but I, I would say in the pipeline, I want to make a sequel at some point. Brilliant. And I want to keep writing. Okay. This has been such a cool experience. This has been an experience I never thought I would have, never expected. But now that I've had it, it's so cool. And I, I've kind of like people say the travel bug they're like I got bit by the travel bug I got bit by the writing bug I love it now I'm like I never thought this would be a thing I do but I'm in so do you want to tell us um basically when the book release date is where we get hold of the book oh of course um it releases on April 16th Mm-hmm. And it'll be available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, Google Books, Google Playbooks. I think they changed the name of that. And there will also be a website where you can order signed copies directly. And all of that is available. Instagram is the fastest way to find information. It's at shit adults never taught us. The book is shit adults never taught us. The Amazon, all of that is 
you should be able to easily find it through all of those channels. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Natasha, and sharing a lot about yourself and your background and where the idea from the book came from, but also a lot of really good advice that came out today in this podcast for our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you. And like, this was so much fun. I would do this anytime. We could just like (laughs) sit and talk. I feel like we should have a glass of wine and we should just sit and talk and see what else comes out. Thanks for tuning in as always, guys, to another episode of the Grown Up Hustle podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then don't forget to click subscribe. And if you haven't already, if you could leave a quick review, I'd be super grateful. Reviews help the show reach more listeners and really get these chats out there. If you're keen to connect with Natasha or get more info on the book Shit Adults Never Taught Us, then hop on over to the Grown Up Hustle podcast on Instagram, where you'll find Natasha and Shit Adults Never Taught Us and all of their social media links tagged on the grid. Whilst you're there, don't forget to give us a follow to keep up to date with show topics and events. All follows are always appreciated. On next week's show, I've got Elliot Foyles coming on and talking to us about life with bipolar. Um, We are doing this show to raise awareness and improve sensitivity towards the illness in honour of World Bipolar Day, which is on the 30th of March this year. Elliot is a really dear friend to me. He has been my friend for years. He's my old housemate. And going back several years ago, um, I was with him during one of his manic bipolar episodes. We talk really, really candidly, and it's a very relaxed convo, very different style to um, most of the other interviews that I've done. But it's a great show, and I really hope that you guys enjoy it. So I hope to see you all next week. On that note, have an absolutely fabulous week and I will catch you all soon.